You are listening to the Center for Urban Research Teaching and Outreach's Curto Conversations podcast. In each episode, campus and community experts will highlight collaborations that contribute to the advancement of the human community. Marquette University is located in Milwaukee, Wisconsin, the traditional lands of Potawatomi, Ho-Chunk, and Menominee peoples along the southwest shores of Michigami, North America's largest system of freshwater lakes where the Milwaukee, Menominee, and Kinnikinnik rivers meet and the people of Wisconsin, Sovereign, Anishi, Nave, Ho-Chunk, Menominee, Anita, and Mohican nations remain present. Hello, and welcome to the first episode of Curdo Conversations. My name is Benjamin Lindsay, and I am the Senior Graduate Researcher for the Center for Urban Research, Teaching, and Outreach at Marquette University. And this is our podcast where we will talk about the center and our efforts in the community. With me today, I am joined by the two other members of the leadership team, Dr. Robert Smith and Sam Harshner. I'm going to throw it to them to let them introduce themselves and say what their role in Curdo is. Dr. Smith. Ben, thank you very much. And and by the way, you get you got a great radio voice, man. Just want to make sure to say that. Yeah, I'm, I'm Robert Smith. I'm an associate professor in the history department, and I um, am the director for the Center for Urban Research, Teaching, and Outreach. We have been at this uh, for three years now. This is a brand new uh, entity at Marquette that emerged out of the Institute from, for Urban Life. Uh, I'm also the Harry G. John Professor of History, so the, the Curdo is funded through the John family. We want to thank them and shout them out and appreciate that support. Uh, you know, part of what we we're up to is is engaging a whole range of uh, topics, issues, ideas that pivot around some basic and fundamental human rights and human dignity. You know, we 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 execute that we execute those ideas through our pillars of research, teaching, and outreach, and, and we'll we'll dig into that a little bit more as we move through our conversation but you know we're really here to to be a connector between marquette university and the various communities around milwaukee and make sure that we're in the right conversations around the right issues um, that that affirm those those basic principles of of human rights and human dignity sam your your turn you want me to jump in yeah uh, my name is Sam Harshner. I I, um, I I fill a couple of roles at at Curdo or have a couple of titles. So I'm I'm the assistant director. Rob inherited me from uh, from from the from the prior regime. Uh, I couldn't be more more happy to be to be working with Rob. It was uh, it was really exciting to to see his vision when he came in and, and applied for the job and and seeing how he's realized it has been really uh, really inspiring over the past uh, over the past few years. Um, uh, we can go into that later, but but I think uh, you know uh, Rob's leadership has really positioned us uh, to to have a voice in the most salient political issues of our time, um, and and he showed a lot of forethought and and um, and and you know kind of judgment in in, uh, in getting us into those positions. My roles here, I assistant director. Um, I'm also uh, primarily my work is related to the uh, to the the public service master's degree program, which is under uh, which is under the Curdo umbrella. And also the um, uh, the the urban affairs minor, which you know presents us with the opportunity to create kind of a kind of a unified academic program potentially down the road, where where students will be able to study uh, you know urban urban affairs and and um, 
and public service uh, for for six years with us potentially, you know, kind of under the Colonel Colonel umbrella. We're, we're uh, working DGS. This is DGS of the Pubs program. Assistant Director of Curdo. Teaching poli sci and history. You mentioned that you were inherited by Rob when he stepped into this position. So let's talk about how Curdo came to be a thing. And let's start with you, Sam, since you have been here the longest. Yeah, you know, I mean, the, the um, I came in the first year that Curdo uh, kind of existed, but it had an interim director, Dr. James Martin, kind of just uh, kept the wheels kind of turning. The the organization had been called the Center for Urban Life, and it it uh, it had a different focus at that at that moment, you know, kind of in an older style uh, look at, uh, at at kind of urban history and urban affairs, not as much of a, a focus on in, injustice and and inequality and and kind of the 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 more important dynamics well what I, what I would consider the more important dynamics of, of urban life today um, and I think there the the um, uh, when it when it switched over to become the the um, um, you know kind of the, the center for urban research teaching and outreach the the idea was to be uh, to be more germane uh, to do research that's more germane to the to the city as a whole to to really connect Marquette's work not only with, you know, we're not only connecting Marquette's work to the, to the, to the city as a whole, but also looking uh, to the city to find out what, um, you know, kind of what the city wanted, uh, what kind of research communities in the city uh, needed, uh, what they, what they wanted to, what they wanted to see examined and, and try to get Marquette researchers working on that. Uh, so, so having it become a two-way relationship, not just a, not just a, hey, here, we did something interesting. You want to hear a lecture on it, that sort of idea. So um, I think that it was, it was, it was intelligently conceived. And I think then, um, uh, you know, getting Robin as the director made a lot of sense. Somebody who, who knew the city really well and had a, had a vision that was, that was commensurate with what, uh, with, with uh, the vision for Curdo was as a whole. Part of what we did then, and this was right before you joined us, we we held several visioning sessions. You know, Sam and I talked a little bit about uh, what our rollout for Curdo would look like, and and came to understand was we didn't have to rush. You know, we didn't have to jump in with both feet and make a big deal about it. And, you know, you, you see that a lot of times where some, when something new shows up, there's some sort of opening bash, some sort of opening gathering. And, you know, you can, you can kind of sometimes tell that the, the launch is prior to there being some substance behind it. And so we did it the other way. We wanted to, to put the substance before the uh, outward display, which is why we were very deliberate in you know, rolling out a website or engaging with social media or, you know, any of that stuff. So we we held several visioning sessions and it was those, those sessions sessions were orchestrated by the National uh, Office of Public Allies. And we, we approached them to help us vision Curdo for a couple of reasons. One is because we know that uh, public allies is, is, is in the middle of uh, a number of the youth specific developmental uh, entities and organizations here locally, but then also nationally. And so we didn't want to imagine Curdo through the lens of, uh, you know, a bunch of tenured faculty members, no disrespect to my colleagues, but we needed to be much more forward. We needed to be, and we want to continue to be much more forward thinking in our approach. Uh, so the, the folks at Public Allies came in and, and worked us through uh, a set of conversations about who we were going to become and how we then do that 
and value both campus and community expertise in the process. And so uh, we had several of those. We, we talked to some of our trusted community partners. We work very closely with uh, you know, groups like the ACLU because of the, the reach that they have in, into a number of very important topics. We have community experts as a part of our advisory board. And we, we can talk about that structure in just a little bit. We explored who we wanted to be by engaging community voices, not only in the conversation, but, you know, we, we asked the community leader to be at the helm of the visioning process, you know. And uh, over the first academic year when I started, uh, we, we were lucky enough to come away after one year having a clear sense of what our vision was to be and where we were headed. You know, our mission statement very clearly centers itself at the heart of Marquette's mission, which is the search for truth and, and knowledge. And so that, that's our guiding light. That's our guiding principle. We're, we're, we're searching for truth, first and foremost. And we're doing that by engaging an interdisciplinary core of faculty researchers. We are engaging on any project, on any initiative, there's always community expertise involved. We're also looking to be a home for graduate and undergraduate research. You know, we want to create and continue to advance uh, the research engine. We'll, we'll talk about some of the research projects in a second. Uh, and obviously, as Sam mentioned, now that we have pubs, we are really at the forefront of being an academic center that has both uh, a significant set of uh, outreach and engagement initiatives, and then at the very same time, has an undergraduate and graduate program. We're really, after three years, we're really right where we want to be. And we haven't even really publicized ourselves yet. You know, we haven't gone about the task of self-promotion. You know, we haven't developed our PR engine. We haven't done any of that kind of stuff because we wanted to make sure we got the substance right, first and foremost. And really, it is kind of that substance that I want to talk about next. You mentioned it earlier, and it's in the name, research, teaching, and outreach, the pillars, as you call them, of the center and what it is that we do. I would like to, to hear more about how you envision those pillars, or the two of you envision those pillars, and also how those pillars are breaching the divide. I mean, the you can make a very real accusation towards Marquette and other urban university campuses about being bubbles or islands in the middle of the city. And one of the things that we do that I find so valuable is kind of acting as that bridge to the town and gown and breaking down that barrier between the, the university and the community that surrounds it. Yeah, you know, the Matt Mixon, one of our key partners who, uh, you know, he's, he's with the Wisconsin uh, Black Media Association. Uh, Matt Mixon often says there's a moat around Marquette. And that moat is really driven by the parking structure, <laughs> you know, uh, the, not the not not physical structures, but the um, parking meters, you know. But nonetheless, it's it's there's is even though Marquette's in the center of our city and a lot of ways, not necessarily geographically, but it's right, you know, in the heart of downtown and, and moves out west, it, it does not always feel accessible, right? 
every uh, building, classroom, you, you have to have card access to get to. Um, there's, a very, there's a very interesting cultural anthropological set of experiences happening along Wisconsin where we have a primarily white suburban student body engaging with an overwhelmingly African-American um, working class community as they uh, are at bus stops and, are, and moving about the city. So we have these very interesting interactions that are happening that we don't even talk about right right in, right in front of us you know we we should have been doing all kinds of activities as a university just on Wisconsin Avenue <laughs> you know we haven't even imagined envisioned how we could engage that that those experiences right there which is which is unfortunate because we're missing a great opportunity to do some pretty cool stuff right out right out front um you know the 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 core of our research questions and, and, and how we come to those, we really allow, not allow, we really make room for any number of ideas to emerge. And uh, part of the, the process is being open and listening and welcoming to, to any number of ideas. But, but there is a little strategy involved. The, the primary thing we wanted to do regarding our research initiatives is to get in front of any of those important conversations. So if we're if we're talking about criminal justice reform, then let's not talk about criminal justice reform based on 2015 data. Let's think about criminal justice reform for 2025. You know, so we're we're looking into the expansion of electronic monitoring and GPS devices because we know that's the future of reform. And so we don't want to wait until it gets any more grotesque. We want to engage that conversation now and hopefully uh, be able to intercept and, uh, and disrupt some of the practices and, and policies that are going to move us into an era where policing in the carceral state is in our neighborhoods in ways that we we then are, are, are sort of uh, the, the net has widened such that digital technology is, is even more central to that process, which makes it even more elusive to address. Um, if we are, if we're talking about educational disparities, you know, we don't want to talk about educational disparities from a year or two ago. We want to be a part of a conversation that's going to move us and move the, the efforts around closing and, and, and dealing with those disparities in creative ways. And so we're working with Walt Lanier and the folks over at MATC, MPS's Black and Latino Male Achievement Office. We've got a great community of folks on campus who've been doing and uh, managing our leadership and brotherhood summits where we bring uh, diverse high school students to campus and engage them around a whole range of topics. So we're, we're trying to think about uh, efforts and initiatives that are in front of, down the road, far afield, and not working from behind the curve, so to speak. Sam, you want to jump in and offer any thoughts? I'm, I'm, I'm talking a lot right now. You know, you give a, a, a faculty member an open mic <laughs> audience. No, I think it. You know, I mean, I think you you summed up like kind of the direction of the of the organization. You know, I mean, really, really concisely. I think just to speak a little more specifically to kind of the programs that we have under, uh, you know, under Curdo in, um, in the in the academic realm. You know, I think there is a 
a sense in general that at Marquette that there should be uh, an engagement with with social justice. That that's part of the Jesuit the, the Jesuit uh, you know kind of mission. We have slogans like setting the world on fire, being men and women for others. And I think that the programs under Marquette's I'm sorry under Curto's uh, auspices are really uh, focused on on. On, on making those a reality. And I think we provide skills in, in, in programs like pubs and, and in the urban affairs program, but we also want that curriculum to be focused not just on skills, not just on technical expertise, but on the ways to, to, um, to accomplish change, to accomplish needed change. And in a situation in which we have, uh, you know, when we're, we're looking primarily at the nonprofit sector, pubs is largely a nonprofit administration, you know, kind of master's degree. All all institutions have a conservative impulse. This uh, this idea that they want to kind of maintain themselves and keep themselves going. Um, so the question is not only how do you function within that institution, but also how do you move that institution? How do you become agents for change? And we've really tried to tried to insert that or or you know kind of nurture that in the pubs program. And this is especially important in the nonprofit sector that's really attempt had had to attempt to fill the space by that's been evacuated by government in terms of. Uh, providing, um, you know, providing basic social services and and trying to rectify uh, disparities in power and and wealth and, and life conditions of all kinds. So again, it's it's an effort to to apply the mission of the university and the mission of the center uh, to to kind of the work that we do. And I think it's um you know it, it fits pretty well together. And again, you know, we're like like Rob said, we're trying to prepare these future executives for for the problems that they're going to face going forward. Not not, uh, you know, kind of the the existing issues that the nonprofit sector uh, faced, you know, 10 years ago or, or even yesterday. We live in we live in interesting times. Right. So I think it's it's uh, it's it's incumbent on us to be forward thinking and, and nimble. And so we're, we're attempting to do that. It really requires us to be courageous, you know, because institutions are very resistant to change, even if their mission suggests that they should be more progressive than they actually are. And so part of what we have to do is to, you know, walk headstrong into some issues and and make sure that we're 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 brave in that process. You know, so if we're if we're doing our research with electronic monitoring, you know, we don't we as the research side of, of that effort, we don't know a lot about that. We had to rely on the, the expertise of Youth Justice Milwaukee and the other folks who are part of that collaboration to to teach us what to do with that. If we're thinking about education outreach and all that, we, we have to be brave enough to go to the Bell Phillips Center to not only work closely with the staff out there and, and the, the way that they're shaping their curriculum, but to also learn more about the youth justice system. You know, we, we, we just can't be afraid of that. We're, if we're going to engage these conversations around rights and dignity, we have to be brave enough to, to work with the moment we're in right now and, and have the heart to think about the importance of voting, uh, to encourage voting, even though that there are some folks that are going to suggest that that's politicized, if we're in, in, encouraging young people to vote. You know, we, we just have to be brave. We can't worry about failure. We, we have to be willing to piss our bosses off a little bit, make folks uncomfortable. You know we're good stewards of the university. Don't get me wrong; we're professionals. But at the same time, we have to we have to push ourselves and push folks to to be to imagine a world that maybe we can't see right now. And that and that's the I think it's important for us to say, Sam, 
you know, part of what we also do is we like to engage the arts community as much as we possibly can. We've been working closely with Milwaukee Film uh, in a number of ways, particularly Black Lens and Cine uh, San Fronteras. We, we want to make sure that we are thinking about the way the arts help us imagine a world that we can't see right now. Uh, we want to think about the way the arts uh, can help impact our research and our teaching, you know, so we work closely with obviously the Haggerty Museum. We've been a part of some other initiatives with some of the other museums around town. I'm the resident historian for America's Black Holocaust Museum. So the, the cultural arts, the, the various arts components to some of the initiatives that we're engaged in are critical. You know, we're, we're just trying to make sure that uh, as we shape Curdo and advance Curdo, that we're thinking about creatively, uh, thinking about uh, the ways to engage these these questions and these topics and these agendas and doing so uh, not only from the perspective of a university that's engaging with the, the local community, but then in that in the in a mutual way, in a bi-directional way, also welcoming critiques and commentaries from our community experts so that we get better along the way. One of the things that's really stood out in, in hearing both of you speak to this is the dynamism that you're talking to is that this is it still has some of the components that people associate with universities in the research and the teaching elements but it also has dynamism because it's as you have both pointed out it's engagement with the moment in a way that is at the ground level this goes beyond I, I think that there's academics sometimes get criticized for not being engaged with the public and so there's this push to become public intellectuals, but even that is operating at a certain level that isn't exactly, Curdo does that too, but Curdo is engaged in a lot of other ways. Uh, to your point, engagement with the arts, engagement with local groups and the local partners that I want to talk about just a little bit more that you've mentioned so far, Rob. So this is much more dynamic than I think a lot of public engagement from universities usually are. A lot of times, any individual regardless of one's expertise, is unwilling to let go. And what we were, what we understood early on is that we just had to let go. We didn't have to be at the, the helm of driving the, the bus all the time. You know, for example, I let go. My son just showed up right now. He's going to jump in the podcast. What's up, Henderson? Where you at? Oh, okay. So, um, you know, we're, it's it's okay if we are not always, as a, a part of the leadership team at Curdo, it's okay if we're not always the one making the final call. Sometimes there are others who are better equipped to make those determinations about where certain initiatives ought to go. And that's why we partner with so many of the community uh, entities that we partner with, because we you know, if there's one thing I've learned about classroom instruction, it's a lot better to admit when you don't know something as an instructor. You don't have to make it up. You don't have to pretend like you know everything. You don't have to do any of that stuff. You just, all you have to do is admit that your understanding of something just requires you to brush up a little bit. And, and that humility is is what allows for the welcoming in of a number of other voices along the way. 
you know, and, and actually it strengthens everything. The, the more expertise you have in the room, ideally the better decision you're going to make along the way. You know, that's just a very practical approach. That's, that's, that informs vision and it informs mission and all that, but it also just takes a lot of pressure off. We, we don't have to have all the answers. Why, why, why would we think that we have to have all the answers around how to, to go about researching any questions associated with the carceral state when you have formerly incarcerated folks who are at the helm of so many of these conversations publicly? Let, let, let's get their expertise in the room. And then, and in that respect, here's a, here's a great program that we're engaged in right now, along with several scholars on campus and a doctoral student, Marisola, uh, Darren, Teresa. We have this 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 core group of folks who we've been shaping an educational preparedness program that looks to expand the opportunities for current and formerly incarcerated folks to take take college courses at Marquette, and then ultimately we'll be partnering with other universities around the region. How in the world could we do that if we don't then engage with all of the other organizations around town that are uh, taking part in that process? Expo, uh, the, uh, the, there's several reentry collectives, reentry council, reentry network. I already mentioned the ACLU. You know, the, uh, how can how can we not call on the expertise of folks who who are are far more informed about how we should then shape those courses, those blended courses, and then shape that, those academic support mechanisms for our education preparedness program. Uh, you know, Sean Wilson over at the ACLU worked with some of our honor students in helping to craft a course that will become a part of those, those courses that we offer um, to our, our, our neighbors who've been incarcerated, you know, our student, our students who've been incarcerated. Let's, 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 let's think about uh, what we've learned about how best to address and, and deal with just vernacular. We wouldn't have learned all that stuff if we hadn't, if we hadn't been in, in, in the right spaces and the right conversations and, and didn't offer up enough humility to learn from folks. And so, you know, the, it's, it's been, it's been a very short window over three years or so, but we just, we've just positioned ourselves to to really grow and expand in, in important ways. And then, of course, we you know we have at our disposal all these other folks across the country who we're interacting with. So now, uh, by virtue of our relationships with um, our our local partners, they've connected us with their partners from across the the nation. <laughs> you know, so. It, and, and you don't you don't get that buy-in from folks unless you uh, unless you approach those relationships the right way. So this issue of relationships, I think, is an important one because when you, you bring up the example of being able to admit to your students that you might not know something in a class, uh, but you'll research it and get back to them, that comes down to trust. The students trusting you to actually do that, and in these relationships with both the community partners and our higher ups at the university require trust. And I think that in the short amount of time that Curdle has, has been a thing, as you said, the three years, that so we have done a great deal of trust building in the relationships that we have. You mentioned earlier the advisory board. Do you want to talk to the structure of that and how that helps empower us to form these ties with the community? Yeah, so the, the advisory board 
is is not a board of directors. It's it's advisory, you know, and that's really important. We we go to the board for advice and direction, and then the board does a great job of saying, you know, okay, th these are our thoughts. Now you all go run with it and come back to us if you have questions. They don't they don't attempt to direct or control or shape. They they are indeed advisory. It's made up of three senior faculty members and three chairs from campus, uh, all from the College of Arts and Sciences. We have also an equal number of community voices on the advisory board too. And what we've tried to do is if we're engaging in, for example, our, our research on electronic monitoring, then the folks who are a part of YJM, Youth Justice Milwaukee, then they're on our advisory board. So not only are they giving us the, the partnership to do the research around EM and GPS devices, they're also engaged in conversation with us about some of our other initiatives. For the current uh, moment we're in with voting, we've brought on some other uh, voting rights and community engagement entities to help us think about how where we should be focusing some of our efforts around voter engagement with our other initiatives, uh, whether they, those are on campus or not. We then have you know, a room of, of nine experts who then can workshop the ideas with us and, and help us think through some of the best approaches. For example, at our, our one of our more recent advisory board meetings, when, when we were talking about all the ways that we were engaged in these, these questions around carcerality, uh, one of our chairs said, you know, why don't you start thinking about creating a, a, a fellowship and carceral studies that would then, you know, give you the opportunity to recruit graduate students who are who are looking to do that kind of work. But then it also becomes a, a position you can fundraise around. We we pivoted immediately and began to shape that. And, and then some of our other community partners heard about the fact that we had this fellow and then they wanted to help support the growth of that fellow. And so now the, you know, Marisola as our first Crossroads Studies Fellow is working with the Milwaukee, the Reentry Council, the Reentry Network. She's a part of the, she's uh, been been collaborating with some folks over at UWM and uh, with uh, Tim Ellinger over in the Center for Sustainable Peace Building. I should, I should know the title. Sorry, Tim. Oh man, I, I apologize. Uh, but, you know, nonetheless, once people understood that we had that position and we obviously had some of those relationships the community partners jumped right in to help not only uh, support that position but to then also sort of expand the way that the that marisola can be engaged in some of those efforts and so the the advisory board gives us you know helps with our direction shaping it helps plug us into places that are uh, significant for us um, and at the same time continually helps us think about positioning on campus. Can I mention one other thing about uh, just on some of the themes that Rob uh, was mentioning uh, and in terms of the openness, uh, the, the kind of the, the recognition that we don't know everything, the, the desire for new voices to come in. I think one of the things that sort of approach to scholarship has resulted in is that we've built some really strong relationships to students and the, the, the student body as a whole, really. And, and what we see is students coming to Rob or I saying, hey, can I work for Curdo? And I don't think that stuff happens very often. I think the, the dynamism of the organization, I think, uh, 
you know, kind of the fact that it's studying things that are salient in, in uh, today's politics, today's cities, um, and, and the fact that um, we have been receptive to, to new voices has been has really fostered that. It's been very flattering that we have not only um, student leaders, but uh, students that we didn't even know about. Uh, you know, there are students who we work with in some other capacities who are like, hey, well, we want to work with you more permanently. Uh, but then also students we didn't know show up and say, hey, I want to work here. And Anne-Marie Gunn is a great example. Anne-Marie came into Curdo one day. She was working over at the Center for Peacemaking. And she said, hey, I'm Anne-Marie Gunn. I, I want to work here. <laughs> so we, we began to talk. And the, the beauty of, of that uh, initiative that she took, she, she said, well, this semester, this was last year uh, in the spring, uh, she she stopped in in the fall. She said, "Well, in the spring, we're going to I'm going to be over in Cape Town for the study abroad, abroad program." And she said, "But when I come back in the summer, I'd like to work with Curdle in, in some way." And I said, "Well, Anne Marie, you you probably didn't know this, but I have a research project that is looking at the relationship between civil rights lawyers in the U.S. and black lawyers and and, and attorneys in South Africa. So while you're there, you can just." You can join Curdo as a research assistant and do some preliminary archival research for me. So while she was in Cape Town as part of the study abroad program, she was also uh, doing some research. Uh, she was serving as a research assistant with me. Now, of course, it got cut short, short because of the pandemic, but her initiative um, was such that it, it created a relationship that was mutually beneficial for me and to her experiences while she, the limited time she was down in, in Cape Town at the University of the Western Cape. We also have an undergraduate research assistant who's been working, who's a, a Princeton University student who's from Milwaukee. And I don't even remember exactly how that relationship developed, but uh, Alice McGinnis, who's, uh, again, she's over at Princeton, was doing similar kinds of archival research for me as a research assistant because the, the ACLU National Archives are there, and I was looking to see the ways in which the, the various legal uh, public interest law firms were engaged in the, the fight to end apartheid. We, we've got Belugue Ndabula, who has been doing wonderful research looking at the absence of gun distributors and the questions around gun violence. And she's partnering with the Brady campaign. If, if we're going to shout out the students, we got to shout out Jamal Jay and Brianna Ortiz, who were with us from the very beginning and did, uh, you know, they were cross training. They were doing all types of different work for us as we were kind of getting our footing. And then the Flower Sisters, Corinne and Brianna, were, uh, have been central. And so we, we and Dan, what's Dan's Dan Brophy? Dan Brophy was another student who just showed up and said, hey, what's going on here? I want to work here. <laughs> you know, he was a, a student government vice president. Uh, so we were we were really lucky to uh, have such a talented group of undergraduates in the early formation of Curdo too, which sets a standard, right? So now the, the any students that come behind them, they understand that there are certain expectations that we have for the workplace but they also have a tradition that they need to step step into that the the undergrads have have shaped for so it's been it's been great and i got to shout out teddy you know our, our first sort of formal graduate student theodore williams teddy has uh, has gone on and got a job and 
and all that. But Teddy kind of helped us get started in the EM work. And then, of course, Ben, you, you're very similar. You you showed up one day when we started and was like, hey, what's going on here? You know, <laughs> and and now, I mean, you're you're uh, indispensable to us. Uh, Lisa, Lisa Lampson has gone on to get a job at UW Green Bay. And so we've put the engine together and man, the engine's working, you know, the engine's working. It is, it is. And as our time draws to a close here, I, I want to remind our listeners that this is just an introductory episode. We have mentioned a lot of initiatives and partnerships that you probably want to learn more about. And that is the goal and the mission of this podcast is to make that happen. Please tune in to other episodes where we'll go much deeper into these and have some of these names of these people on to discuss what these initiatives and the work that's being done are. Before you wrap us up, I got to shout out Neighborhood News Service because if I don't, Ron Smith and Adam Carr, they're like funny. (laughs) Texting me, talking crazy to me and all that. I don't want to I don't want to uh, start any trouble with them. I want to shout out the Wisconsin Historical Society, Wisconsin Black Historical Society as well. You know, they're, they're, I, I'm leaving a number of people out, and I know we're going to get in trouble about that, Sam. But, the, you know, those are just some folks who come to mind who we have to make sure to, to, to shout out as well because they're, they're central to our success, you know. And I just want, I want to mention the, the Trinity program and, and, and the honors yeah. program of Marquette that have uh, really helped shape our educational kind of uh, component of our of, of what we do. Absolutely. Absolutely. Southside Organizing Center. You know, we, we <laughs> it's great. I mean, we can do the roll call. But the, and these are not formal relationships. These are relationships built on trust and commitment, you know. And that's, man, you can't beat that. When people trust you, you know, that's the highest compliment. Yes, I completely agree. And like I said, hopefully we will hear the voices of some of these groups and institutions in further episodes talking about the relationship with Curto and the various projects that we were involved in. But I think this is a pretty good place to wrap it up today, gentlemen. What about you? I think so. If not, we're going to be here for another two hours. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there is so much more we could talk about. I mean, we have just barely scratched the surface. But I, again, this was just meant to kind of introduce ourselves to the, the podverse and let people know what it, who we are and what it is that we were doing. And hopefully in hearing this, you will want to learn more and tune into other episodes. Um, I will turn it to the two of you to give any closing statement that you like. Well, you know, I think it's important for us to now really begin this process, Ben and Sam, of letting folks know what we're up to. Uh, you know, I think we, we have a pretty cool uh, way that we've sort of moved ourselves into some important conversations. There's some other nooks and crannies that we got to get into, and we'll we'll continue to do that. But but now we need to start letting folks know what Curto is about more broadly, so that uh, we can really expand and and even further some of the work we do. We just brought aboard uh, Sterling Knox and. Tierra over in the law school. So we're, we're, we're growing. We're growing in some important ways. And so we got to let folks know what we're up to. So thanks, man. Yeah, thanks, Ben. This has been fun. Thank you both of you for your time today. And thank you for listening to Curto Conversations. Thank you for listening to this episode of Curto Conversations. 
You can learn more about this podcast and the work being done with our partners by visiting the Center for Urban Research, Teaching, and Outreach website at marquette.edu. You can reach the podcast via email at urbancenter at marquette.edu. Music for this episode is by Ronald E. Johnson, whose music can be found at Choco Geek Eyes.